Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Teller podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today as a guest is John Bristow. How you doing, John? I'm well, thanks. So I am reviving the uh, interview portion of the, the uh, Eat Sleep Code podcast. Um, and I figured, why not talk about our good friend and co-host that has uh, been there with us through the pandemic doing news shows while uh, things try to get back to normal. Our good friend, John Bertho. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Thanks. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about you today, John. Uh, no so <laughs> you've got uh, you know quite the the dev path. You've been with Microsoft in progress, and now you're over at Octopus Deploy. Yes. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. Uh, currently, I'm at Octopus Deploy. Uh, I'm a product director there. I look after a team called the integrations team, which is uh, a team that's in charge of building integrations between Octopus Deploy and other applications and or systems. So what that means is basically when you build a product and you have infrastructure associated with that product, um, you want that product to talk well with others. And typically you'll do that through things like APIs, et cetera. But when you're when you're dealing with infrastructure, it's not it's not as easy to have those systems talk to each other sometimes. And so to facilitate that, you build integrations, and those integrations are either within the product itself talking to Octopus or within Octopus talking to those other products. And so we spend a lot of time looking at other parts and pieces of the pipeline that you have in a CD CI CD pipeline, um, and looking to integrate between those pieces and with Octopus to basically facilitate a better experience. Uh, so, so I've been doing that for quite a while. Yeah. So uh, Octopus Deploy, for those who aren't familiar, this is a uh, product for CI/CD. Is uh, automation? What what exactly are are you all specializing in? Yeah, it's always hard to get all the the things covered when you're doing the who are you, what do you do. Um, so Octopus Deploy, you can find out more at octopus.com. We are a continuous delivery solution. Uh, so if you are looking at automating the way in which you deliver software to systems, to uh, applications, to platforms, etc., like that, and you wanna you wanna basically have a repeatable and consistent process for doing those operations, whether you're deploying websites or deploying applications or deploying a point of sale system across 3000 kiosks, for example, um, those and other types of uh, scenarios, uh, Octopus Deploy is a solution that allows you to do that. It's an automation automation solution for deploying software. And, uh, and what type of things do you do uh, to help? Um, you said you're, you're working with integrations. Like what is your, yes. your daily like activities? Like, are you, testing things out hands-on do you are you interfacing with customers or uh big um you know enterprises what what's your your daily routine like oh god it's it's varied because as a, as a i'm in product management so which which means you have to basically do a lot of different things at once uh so i'll talk to customers who are using our product and ask them are you having a good experience what could be better uh, are you using a certain integration? What could we improve there? Oh, I see you're having a challenge, et cetera. We'll factor that into the next cycle of development, et cetera. Um, I talk, I do development within the team itself. So I'll experiment with ideas and I'll say, actually, maybe what if, what if we went in this direction, for example? So I'll, uh, yesterday I was cutting Go code and I was working with Git, Git, uh, GitHub uh, pipeline, uh, actions, a pipeline in, my, in the actions that we have. So there's that. And then I'll be working on uh, what we call pitch documents, which are like specifications for uh, new features and improvements to a product. Uh, we we do a lot of communication through chat. And so I'll, I'll be on uh, a chat call or a chat conversation with folks talking about features. Uh, we'll have Zoom meetings. Um, you name it, there's a lot of stuff to do. It's kind of like <laughs> spinning a lot of plates. Um, so yeah, there's lots of stuff to do as a product manager. Uh, that's not to say there's more than anyone else, but, um, there's a lot of different hats you have to wear and you have to spend a lot of time kind of sniffing around like a truffle pig, looking for, uh, <laughs> the, the sort of 
solutions, you're looking to the problems you have. And so there's a lot of time you'll spend coding. There's a lot of time you'll spend writing. There's a lot of time you'll spend on chat. There's a lot of time you'll spend, you know, collaborating with customers and with your internal folks. And also partners are another thing. So the talk to, com to, to companies who are partners of yours, et cetera. So there's lots of stuff to do. Interesting. I, I know we've, we've known each other for, I want to say about eight years. Um, and, uh, you know, we were both in DevRel. Um, I'm not sure yep. what, what it is exactly you were doing before DevRel, but uh, we did DevRel <laughs> together for quite some time. Yeah. Yep. So uh, uh, what similarities do you think uh, what you're doing now has with, with DevRel, what you've done in the past? That's a great question. So DevRel and product management are somewhat similar. Uh, so for folks who are watching this thinking, oh, product management sounds good. Uh, DevRel is, is you can see as uh, either a direction leading towards product management or an offshoot of product management. Um, so developer relations or DevRel, as we like to call it, is basically um, you're out in the community cha um, championing um, a, a product, a stack, et cetera, showing developers how to get things done with your product or stack, et cetera. Um, and generally you have a very breadth approach, meaning you have a very wide net you're looking to cast and trying to um, bring in as many developers together and try and get them to utilize your, your software. Um, product management isn't too dissimilar. Oh, the, the, one of the key differences obviously is that you're specking out features and you're much more hands-on with the product. So you're uniquely in charge of, in some respects, uh, the, the direction of the product. Um, that's based on obviously data that you collect and telemetry you have, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, in terms of developer relations and, and product management, they, they do have similar types of, of responsibilities in the sense that there's marketing involved. Uh, there's a lot of technical aspects to the position as well. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, having, having good skills and communication is obviously a plus <laughs> if you're looking at to uh, pursue one of those careers. Uh, you need to be able to effectively communicate with customers and with uh, partners, et cetera. Um, but in terms of product management, your your focus is definitely on delivering features and, and improving product. Whereas in developer relations, you're more focused on uh, awareness and adoption, I guess I'd say. Is there anything in particular that you've been working on uh, that's exciting or you know challenging or, or anything like that? Yeah, so we we do a lot of we're we're a bit of a polyglot group in our in our in the integrations group that we we have inside of Octopus. So we because of the nature of the integrations, you you don't have a you don't get to pick, you know, hey, we're I'm a C sharp developer and I want to use C sharp, or hey, I'm a Java developer, or I'm a Go developer, I want to use those languages. Sometimes you don't get a choice. Sometimes you do. Sometimes those environments allow you to facilitate a an environment where you can pick whatever you want and use it. Um, but more often than not in integrations, they have, there's a stack you're wanting to target. Um, so let's say I want to integrate with the new power platform from Microsoft that they announced at build, or I want to integrate with uh, SQL server, or I want to integrate with um, some application server in Java, or I want to integrate with something that's based on Go. Um, and they don't have a facility in which you can extend or integrate with the platform uh, through a language that, that you would like. Uh, you have to roll up your sleeves and learn those languages. So we do a lot of, we do a lot of work in different languages. So one of the things that I've been struggling with, or not, I wouldn't say struggling, but one of the things I've been doing a lot of is Go development. So we, we have a Terraform provider. So providers in Terraform are these little pieces of software that live inside of Terraform. And what they do is Terraform is a product that allows you to configure uh, software with Terraform. So the name is apt basically. So if you want to, if you think about terraforming a planet, you're changing the environment to suit your needs. The same thing can go for software. So Terraform is a product from HashiCorp and it's done through configuration and providers are specific implementations for specific pieces of software to run Terraform against. And so we have a provider for uh, Octopus Deploy that you can run Terraform through and you can configure an Octopus Deploy instance with HCL, which is a, it's like a markup language sort of thing. It's kind of, it looks a little bit like JSON. Um, and uh, using that configuration language, you can tell Terraform, I want my Octopus instance to look like this. So the Terraform provider is written in Go. And so we've been, we've been working on that. We've been on, we've been developing that thing for a couple of years now. And so we've got a lot of interesting challenges with that. So that's something I've been quote unquote struggling with, <laughs> to use your words. 
another thing we're looking at is uh, we have a bunch of GitHub actions. So remember I was saying we integrate with different pieces of software as part of the CICD's pipeline. GitHub Actions is probably one of the most popular ways in which customers build software today if they're hosting their code on GitHub. And so GitHub Actions are a means for, you know, performing, and the name is again, very apt, actions against your software. So whether that's a build or I wanna inspect the code for uh, security uh, vulnerabilities, or I wanna run a linter or things, anything you want, basically. If you've looked at the marketplace for GitHub Actions, there's a lot, there's about 13,000. We have some. And with those allow you to target Octopus. So you can actually run a build. And then with one of our actions, you can then throw that over to Octopus for the deployment, that, that being the package you generate off the build. So if I run a build of a C-sharp program and say I run MS build or, or nuke or make or something like that, and I generate an exe, I can then pass that exe over to Octopus deploy and it will go ahead and deploy that depending upon the process I've defined. And so we have actions that enable you to basically um, pass that package over to Octopus very quickly. And so that those are built in TypeScript. And so we, the, the ones that we've built, you, we can build them in other languages if you want, but getting back to this point I made about being polyglot, I have to do the context switch. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're a polyglot, you, it's kind of like uh, driving a standard car as opposed to auto, as opposed to automatic. So if you, if for those folks who are old enough, who have enough gray hair like I do, that can remember what a standard car is like when you're actually manually shifting gears um, that's kind of like being a polyglot right there's there's a bit of a delay in terms of like oh that's right i'm doing this in java or i'm doing this in whatever right so uh there's a little bit of that and then automatic is basically i do everything in one language and away i go so um those are some of the things that you kind of that context switching is always going to be a challenge for anyone and just for the folks who are watching this thinking oh i'll never experience that believe me you will a context <laughs> switch is 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 going to be something where some new paradigm comes out, some new platform comes out, or something radically changes in the stack that you target. Like, so let's say, you know, something in new in .NET or something new in, in Java comes out. Um, you have to learn that. And that's, uh, in a sense, a kind of like a context switch. You have to stop. It's like a computer. It's stop, swap everything out. Okay, now go. And so, your you know, your brain will delay a little bit as you learn it, but that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, we do this a lot in in web development. You know, we've got uh, a million different things going on. With you know, are yep. we in HTML? Are we in CSS? Are we in TypeScript? Are we in JavaScript? Oh, yeah. And you know, you're batting around all these different languages. And I remember one day just kind of jumping back into like C sharp code after being in one of those four things that I mentioned, and starting yep. to type out um, uh, Pascal. Okay. And I was like, all right, my brain has just broke. Like it's yes. gone completely back like 10 years to code that I haven't written professionally ever <laughs> and just started <laughs> defining Pascal code in the middle of this file. I know, you're like, what the hell is a unit? I don't even know what's a unit. <laughs> I uh, Pascal and uh, stuff back in the day. Yeah. You start asking yeah. yourself some strange yeah. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Begin and ends instead of curly yeah. braces. And you're like, all right, some, something, you know, I'm going to start writing go-to statements in a minute. I, I've got to take a break. <laughs> That's right. You flip the table. You're like, That's it. I'm going back to assembly. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's fun to try these new things out. Are you finding go yeah. like interesting, you know, different way to tackle the same problem, that type of thing. Um, you know what the thing is the thing about go is it's really well it re lends itself really well to building uh command line interfaces and it, given its nature so by design go is designed to be highly concurrent and it's functional and so when you're building a command line interface that tends to be a functional exercise meaning all right let's add this command all right let's add this command and so you're just you're constantly when you're building a cli or a command line interface when you're just constantly adding new uh functions um to to the program itself and so go is a really good candidate language if you're considering building something around um you know for a command line interface um we've discovered or i haven't discovered but i knew about these things we're using them we're using um frameworks like cobra which is a uh, really nice there's a really nice uh li library for in go for processing things on the command line it's called cobra you can find that mm -hmm. on github and then there's a, a, a another one called Viper. This is by the same guy. Uh, it's, I like the naming and the icons are clever as well. Um, that allows you to process and render stuff to the screen as well. 
We're also using a library that we mentioned on Eat Sleep Code called Charm. Uh, so Charm is a set of libraries that are written in Go to basically bring uh, the terminal UI or TUIs back to back in vogue. So we're looking at uh, things like that. And it's just an experiment that uh, we're, you know, I'm playing around with. Um, so Go's really goes really interesting from that perspective. Now, traditionally, Go has been written for backend systems because of the concurrency nature to it. Um, but Turns out it's not so bad for uh, front end as well. Um, so yeah, if you're looking at getting to go, golang.org, I think is the URL and uh, pretty easy to pick up actually. Whenever whenever you say Cobra, all I do is have flashbacks to the 80s and GI Joe. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely a child Cobra of the 80s. The, uh, yeah, the enterprise edition of Java, sorry. That's where my brain goes. Or 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 the or GI Joe, yes. Yeah. I'm old enough. Um. It's it's funny you mentioned Go and in, in the whole CLI thing because I imagine you know writing a CLI tool is very much you're you're defining a set process. It's not not as um, stateful as something like a user interface where you know I do a lot of my time in web development. You're you're constantly like juggling this ball of state around, you know, making sure yes. that you know it's it's pretty hard to wrap functional around uh, the web. Um, I know certain languages have tried. There's Elm, and I know React. React does a decent job at it, uh, but yeah. for the most part, you have a stateful thing on your screen, and you know you're showing data to the user at all times. But I did write a um, uh, a prototype for what is now our uh, Teller QI for Blazor template uh, conversion tool. So basically, you have a, a Blazor app. And you want to you want to make a Telerik UI for Blazor app out of it. This thing is going to go in uh, off of the command line, and you target a project, and it's going to run through various steps and say, "All right, first of all, let me check: is this even a valid Blazor project?" And then it's like, "Okay, sure, that is." And then it goes to the next step, and it's like, "Can I uh, add these dependencies that I need to add?" And then so on. You know, right. it keeps going through these steps. And at any time in that thing, if it fails, what you don't want to do is go in and like write over some configuration in the project and have it in this like state of limbo, where it's right. half converted from project type A to project type B, and you're stuck with this like mutant that's neither A or B <laughs> because <laughs> the process failed in the middle. So um, I used a functional library for C Sharp okay. that uh, lets you do um, ethers. So you, you know it'd be it's kind of uh, like rail uh, programming on rails. So you, you know mm -hmm. it passes you know step one and two. If it fails, the whole thing just rolls back. You know the entire chain fails, and uh, it sounds right. like Go is very capable of doing that sort of thing. Uh yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Like, I, you know, Ruby is very much on the dry principle, which is don't repeat yourself. And with a functional based um, language, you certainly are driven in that direction. Uh, state is certainly the canonical hot potato. <laughs> no one wants to hold it, and uh, everyone needs it. And uh, yeah, it's tough. I, I get you. Um, that's why we've had this hodgepodge of solutions forever. We've had cookies. Okay, that doesn't work. Let's move it onto the server. No, that doesn't scale. Okay, put it back to the server. Put it back to the uh, the client. All right, we got spas. We'll use spas. All right, that's the solution. And then we're moving on. Okay, we need uh, we need wasms. All right, what else we got? You know, like we're just constantly throwing stuff out to try and solve mm -hmm. the same problem. Uh, in addition to other problems, I'm not saying the whole reason why is because of state, but it is a major major problem. And uh, these are some of the challenges, by the way, you 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 uh, interact with on a daily basis as a product manager. So for those folks who are watching this, thinking about product management. You're constantly thinking about things like this, like not 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 like what about state, but it's more about like what we we there's always going to be contention in a system, right? So it's not like you're going to have this perfect jewel of a product and everything's awesome. You're going to have to make trade-offs. And so you're always thinking about like if we do this to fix that, then this is going to be maybe a new problem. And so for those who are thinking that um, I'm not me, not my code. I will always have pristine code and it will always scale and be awesome. I'm sorry to say I have the gray hair to show for it. You're going to have to make <laughs> trade-offs. <laughs> so state is one of those trade-offs, believe it yeah. or not, in the industry by large. We've, we've, we've come to the agreement universally that state is something we all have to live with, that it is, it is a design paradigm. Despite the fact that HTTP is, itself is, is kind of stateless, 
if you think about it, it's re it's request response. Like that's it. That's the dialogue. But we've kind of shoehorned all this state on top of it. Like, no, we'll throw cookies. How about transaction IDs, <laughs> correlations? There you go. Keep going, you know, sort of thing. So we keep chucking stuff onto the pile and um, hoping it will work. And by and large, it does. I mean, the internet is a thing. Last time I checked, we are, we're able to transfer money and able to buy stuff and, you know, do business, whatever business that may be. Um, so yeah, it works and, uh, but it's, it's hard, it's really hard. And so, you know, don't feel bad if you, if you're struggling, I would say as well, that's another thing I like to tell a lot of, uh, uh, folks in the industry is that oh, this stuff is hard. You got to keep on top of it, but you know, it's not, it's not like everyone knows everything. It's not like there's some grand wizard who knows everything that, that is, you know, perfect. And you're not, you're going to attain that level. Like you're, you're always going to be struggling and you're always going to be learning, I think. And that's. I think that's part of the, the cool things about our, in, our industry is that change is a constant and uh, you're always learning. So if you like that, this is the industry for you, believe me. Yeah, I think I think that is very much true. And also everything is old. That's old as new again. It seems that's to right. be reoccurring. So last week. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, uh, you know, we see things like like MVC come about and um, right. you see a lot of design patterns kind of repeat from you know, one age to another, like functional know, programming. It's so gone. old. It's like, so old. And it's like, people are thinking it's the newest thing. And like, this thing's been around for a long time. Yeah. Functional programming was hot for, you know, while back in the day. And yep. now it's come back, you know, with things like Go and uh, F Sharp and, and a lot of other sure. things. And concurrent yep. programming's kind of brought that about. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it drives you. The reason why these languages are designed, it's not like you can't do concurrent programming in a in a stateful, class-oriented language. You totally can. It's just a little bit harder to hold, if you will. Um, if you go functional, obviously, that gives you that that drives you in that direction of being stateless or being, you know, designing the the way in which you build up your application a certain way so that it will lend itself to that. Um, so you know, it's just worth looking into. So, yeah, it's where it's kind of where our processing power is gone these days. Is this whole concurrent sure. processing flow, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. If, if for the longest time the CPU has been just sitting there twiddling its thumbs, like, what do you got for me? Like I'm I'm doing nothing here, and everyone's like, everyone. It's like there's a there's a lineup to the GPU, which is like I gotta do Bitcoin mining now. What are you talking <laughs> about? Sort of thing, and. The GPU is like under pressure. It's like this underpaid intern, you know, sort of thing that are not paid intern. It's just like been told to do everything. Meanwhile, the CPU is this thing that's just sitting there and he's just looking around looking for work. He's like, why has no one come to my office? I'm like, I'm here. I'm ready to do work. And it's just idling at 1%, you know. Yeah. Sorry, it's... that is a deep cut. That's a deep cut. I apologize. <laughs> I see a lot of like uh, things that I used to do a long time ago in the uh like 3d dev space like coming back right. because we've got devices now that are you know they're capable but you know they're they're capable in the sense that our desktop computers did these things you know 15 20 years ago but now they're tiny yep. and they're they're like strapped to our face i know that's one of your favorite things <laughs> exactly but well, uh dude, you know, everything's running doom now you can you can run doom on on anything right so yeah. we, we made that a meme basically but you see like the the need for like um like low poly gaming and stuff like that coming back because you know you've got hardware that's tiny but the capabilities are somewhat you know sh overshadowed by like the modern desktop right. so you know these old patterns and practices come back into the norm where you know you're, you're trying to you know save for every pixel you can and every every vertice matters uh when you're working on something that's uh, like an oculus quest that's you know uh, yeah the best way to think sometimes the best way sometimes the best way to think of our industry is like a, a forest and uh, every once in a while a, a, a fire will just go through and burn everything down <laughs> and then it will just like and then everything grows up green again and then another fire just goes through and burns everything down and just grows and so it's constantly burning down and constantly renewing um yeah i mean it's just there's always new patterns coming about but you look if you read the his, the historical context or you do the histrionics on it you'll you'll come to understand that a lot of this stuff has been around since the 70s if not the 80s and uh we're just doing it again and again and again and trying to find new ways to do it 
Um, that being said, I mean, like the thing that's always been the limiting factor is the hardware, but that's now getting to the point where, okay, we can put stuff on our face and we can put stuff in our ears and we can do interesting things. And that's where the software then starts to shine because like it's all, the software has always been capable, right? Cause it's virtual. All that's needed is better hardware. And finally, this, you know, we're starting to get some, some pretty good hardware. Uh, these M1 Max, for example, are fantastic machines. And so, you know, it's now what we're capable of doing with these things is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, our, our, our imaginings are unlimited. We should, we should be able to do more. That's for sure. Don't get me started on the M1. I've had a bad day with mine again. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think the hardware is great. I've, I've had a, a devil of a time with the uh, software end of, of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> gr growing pains. Let's just say that like uh, sure. trying out the new, the latest, you know, being on the bleeding edge on top of these things is, is never fun. Right, not it, never it's, fun. It's, it's always painful. It could be fun and painful, but yeah, uh, but not as painful as it used to be. I think that's a fair statement. It was kicking me while I was down this morning. Okay. It had, uh, uh, I was trying to install the latest Maui bits on top of this M1. Yeah, but did, and yeah, but did you have to reboot your, did you have to reinstall your operating system? I, I thought I was going to at one moment. Uh, <laughs> it was that bad. Uh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I stand so, corrected. Yeah, I think there was a. I think there's an error with the installer on Visual Studio right. Preview for Mac, uh, that caught me. And then Xcode was throwing fits, and um, you know, I installed Xcode, but then uh, it turns out you have to actually run Xcode, which then in turn kicks off its own installer, right? To install more things, I guess. <laughs> So even though I had it installed, it wasn't completely installed. So it was a whole thing. Yes. It took up my entire yes. morning. Turtles all the way down. So very little do with the actual M1 chip itself, which seems to be pretty impressive. I've heard uh, some rumors that, that Mac's going to do the uh, VR headset. So I'm kind of waiting to see oh, where cool. that goes. I'm sure they'll say that they've reimagined it and no one did it properly before us. So, yeah, they've got the right hardware for it. Got the right hardware, so we'll have to see what they do software-wise. So. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what what type of uh, hobby, you know, tech stuff have you been up to, John? I know you like Raspberry Pis. You done any yeah. Raspberry Pi baking? Uh, not lately. <laughs> I've got one here actually. So this is this is the Raspberry Pi Four. Uh, it's a little dusty. I haven't actually fired it up in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I like doing a little bit of that. I like. Um, monitoring various parts and pieces around my house such as my uh pool filter what else am i monitoring oh my garage door opener that's always a classic uh I've, we have a mutual friend troy hunt who's uh wired up his house and has no ends of no end of grief and frustration using iot um so you can see a raspberry pi as a means to an end to do that it's obviously not as small as some of these sensors can get so that's something that i do from time to time i like to dabble and uh program uh, various bits and bobs if I can. I don't get a lot of time to do it these days. I do have other hobbies, of course, but um, yeah, uh, always a challenge to see what else you can automate. And um, there's never a better feeling in, in the world than driving up to your house and trying to show your wife, hey, check out what I just did. And you bring up your phone, you hit a button and nothing happens. That's always <laughs> a really nice conversation to have with your wife. It's like, um, what, what, what happened? What, what, what am I supposed to see? That's so yeah, nice, uh, Christmas is always <laughs> automation time as well. So uh, the lights being synchronized with music, etc. Halloween, those are always these are always classic moments for the dad to come out and and roll and like break out of his shell and be like, "All right, we're going to automate something. I don't know what One we're going to automate here. something." Yeah, that's right. It, it's a it's classic Griswold thinking. It's it's you know. It, it's like let, let's not put a light just across the railing let's put it across every tile on the roof and uh that will look great you know so i go to that extreme sometimes so what what kind of raspberry piping are you using on the pool filter what is that doing so it depends on the filter that you have so if you if you have an electronic one that has uh, an interface port to it you can hook into it and obviously finding the manuals for some of these things if they're relics can be difficult uh, the internet's pretty good for that, actually. A lot of people will scan manuals and for the broader community and make them available. So you learn the I/O channels, uh, you learn what imports uh, inputs they accept, etc. So 
if you get your hand, a really good sign for, for me as a, as a, as a tinkerer is if you, if you're looking at a piece of, of hardware, like it's a pool filter or a, well, it's not a pool filter per se, but it's part of the shed. That's, that is my pool. Like we classically call it the pool filter, but in reality, there's a chlorinator in there. So what I'm really talking about is the chlorinator that, and also the box that controls when it kicks on. So there's an interface port, a serial port that you can talk to there. And so you just wire it up and then, you know, oh, one doesn't mean off, or like one zero zero one doesn't mean off. It actually means something else, right? So, um, so sending different codes through is always a challenge and, and always fun. And you hope you don't blow up your your hardware in the meantime. But um, generally, those things are pretty. They just you get odd behavior from time to time if you, if you're messing around with them. The garage door opener is always the one that laugh, makes me laugh. Those inevitably always have some kind of input, and just getting them to work right is hard. Because there's always a delay. Like these things, some, sometimes can be likes, right? So you'll you'll interface with a garage door opener, and the processor is not that powerful, right? It's going to take time to think about what you told it. And um, generally speaking, when you press the button, like if you've got a, a door opener, you press the button. That's that's a simple command for us to understand. It's like, okay, well, let's get going. Let's lift the door. Um, but if you're telling it to do other things, for example, like you know, if I'm in the proximity based on geo my geolocation, then open the door or you know, otherwise do this, you know, um, it's not like that logic's happening on the garage door, but it's like, ultimately you're going to send a code to the garage door and sometimes it doesn't get received or it gets lost in the network of devices you have in your home. So it can be frustrating in that regard. And you just like, you start throwing these things around and you get angry and yeah, you know, some words are said, so <laughs> as, as they do. So yeah, automating home is always a fun, fun project. If you're looking to get frustrated, there you go. I think I think I would end up with a uh, a um, garage door you know button with a solenoid hooked to the Raspberry Pi and just press the button for me. Sure, sure. <laughs> like I, I would go the uh, like caveman approach and just be like, sure, right, the button has to be pressed. Something remotely presses the button for me, like uh, what are those? Uh, what are they called? Um, the, uh, the machines with all the crazy pieces to it. Rube Goldberg. Yes, yes. Why I couldn't I remember yes. that? Yeah, that would that would be so my be, style. Yeah, it's the classic sort of like this hits that, then then goes to this, etc. So yeah, you've got to make it's got to look good, or it's got to be hidden. That's the other thing because the the uh, the partner acceptance factor will be very low if it is a monster. <laughs> yeah, especially mine. So uh, I have I have a wife that is the polar opposite of me, and if it has anything technical related to it she wants nothing to do with it so anytime i try to automate something in the house it goes through the most scrutinizing process like uh, getting the uh I, I won't speak the name because it will start responding the smart device behind me uh we've got one of those in probably every room now and a couple lights but that's about as far as i've been able to take it and the, the light okay the lights are not well received by my wife she's like she still walks over and is like click <laughs> the physical yeah. switch uh so she's yeah, not I, a fan what are your thoughts on on the whole voice command thing are you a fan for those devices i've yet to find something really just compelling that i can't live without okay i got into HomeKit a little bit and they're and the voice commands associated with devices like that shall be not be named because I have a lot of them in my room. I don't want them freaking out, but the ones mm -hmm. that start with S or the one that starts with a, or, and you say the, Hey, whatever sort of command, uh, people who know will know. Um, I, I don't know. I, I always had this sort of opinion. Like, I don't want to bug my own house, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I always had that challenge when putting devices like those into my house, I can see the value of it, but, I, I like that connectivity that systems like HomeKit provide where it can talk to other devices. So I have smart lights in my house and you can adjust the color and the, the tone and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I like, we like using our app for that. We don't like talking to some device to control those things. Like, mm -hmm. hey, whatever, you know, who we're talking about, um, dim the lights by 50%, you know, we'd rather just pull up the app. So just so it's not constantly listening to your conversations. That's all. Not like I'm having weird conversations or anything, but it's like, I'm not like I have anything to hide, but it's just like, it's kind of this creepy feeling. Like there's something that's always listening in your house. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And I have a friend that works for one of these uh, big companies. And uh, I, I asked him, you know, just pretty bluntly, like, is this thing literally like listening to everything that we say and, and processing it? And he's like, no, I'm like, come on. Like, there's so many coincidences uh, that happened. Oh, you're, you're talking about Facebook thing. now showing me ads for dog collars when I've never searched for dog collars before, but we're talking about dog collars. Right. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, like making pancakes was one of them. It's like, oh, I, okay. I can make pancakes in my sleep. Like I know the recipe. I've never looked up the recipe. It's, you know, I'm, I, it's just something that you, you know, right. Right. You've done it a million times. And, uh, I remember my daughter was over, uh, she was visiting. She's like, are we going to have pancakes tomorrow? And the thing starts showing ads for recipes for pancakes. And I'm like, I never searched for that. I never would search for that. Like, why is it showing? How does it know to show me ads for this? Right. You know, or suggestions for it. I've, I've uh, talked to people about this and my theory is nuanced, but here it is. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. there are certain apps that may listen. I'm not saying there aren't. There may be certain apps that listen. I'm not saying anything about any particular apps, by the way, but certain apps may listen. In addition to that, there are there's a social graph associated with your search history, right? Implicitly, mm-hmm. right? So if, if I'm Joe and my daughter is Alice, Alice may search things like pancake mixture recipes, etc. And just by that connection, because if it knows that my daughter's Alice it will make that connection and say, Hey, this person over here is, we know is your daughter. Therefore I'll show pancake recipes to you. So the social graph, I think is the thing that people tend to forget that, you know, the connections you have in, in real life actually do provide inputs to those sorts of ads that come through. Yeah. I can see things like that happening, like where they're, they're not really coincidence, even though they feel like it, um, just because I know, those, it's creepy. It's creepy though. I 100% agree. It's creepy. So the one that the one instance that really boggled my mind and still to this day, I, I swear these apps just listen all the time, even though my friend says no, they don't. Um, <laughs> I'm in the car and I have my phone with me. I am not on an app for music, but just on FM radio. Right. Okay. So, you know, normal FM radio, which is not hooked to any social graph. You know, I didn't search for any music through that it. You, that you know of. <laughs> so I all, I all I do is get in the car and this station is on, right? It's not Spotify. It is over-the-air FM radio. Okay. Um, and there's a very yeah, hello, specific, Ed. <laughs> yeah, very specific Ed? song playing. It was, um, it was a cover of Making pancakes uh, by Miley Cyrus. I don't know. So the the sound of silence covered by uh, Disturbed. Oh, okay. Playing on a rock station. This isn't yeah. the most common song, right? No. No, it's, I know that song. it's usually. I mean, they they will play it from time to time on a rock station. It's not right. the most like popular song. Right. I get home. I get out of the car. I walk in the house, and on the device, the the one that will not be named on the screen says, would you like to listen to disturb the sound of silence? Okay. And I'm like, come on. So chances are, and this is part of the agreements <laughs> you sign it, up for. when you, well, well, hang on. When you sign up for services, it could be anything. I'm not naming anyone in particular. I'm just saying this is sometimes what happens when you mm-hmm. sign up for services, websites, apps, etc., and you sign in with a login, there that data could be potentially sold at a later date or shared at a later time or at the same time you're you're actually you know using the app to other Mm -hmm. companies and so that is being ingested by other folks behind the scenes and that's where the creepiness starts to come in it's 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 like how does it know it's like well it's not hard it's like you've assigned an agreement for this site or service they're using and under the covers it's doing things in the back but it's not really sharing personal information. It's mostly like, hey, we just, we just, hey, dude, this guy just heard this song, you know, the sound of silence. Maybe you should let him know that he can listen to it at home. You know, the product that shall be named nameless. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what, what yeah. you're suggesting is third party app told 
assistant, you know, manufacturer that uh, this was a. What thing. else could it be? It's I don't. That okay. Yeah. So okay. What are the possibilities? It's either that or the device is listening. Highly unlikely because you'll kill your battery if you were to constantly listen, or just happen to fall, or or the other third one. The, the actually the other possibility is that um, it is probing. These devices are probing what's playing currently on these stations, and say, "Oh, it's currently playing this. I'll offer that up as a yeah. song." It's trying to make so, these correlations. So I was trying like there. hell to find something okay. that you're playing, right? So I'm I'm. I'm not the the brightest bulb, but I'm not an idiot either. So I, I like okay. went out and I searched. I was like, well, maybe it's uh, I'm trying to remember who the sound of silence was by I can't remember the off the top of my head. Uh, Garf, Art and Garfield. So I was like, maybe it's like an anniversary of, right? Like maybe that's when the song came out or the person died or maybe. The, you know, whatever. So I searched all that, nothing. I got no hits. I was like, there's there's gotta be some commonality here. Uh, and I could not find it. Like I, I'm, I'm still beating myself up trying to figure this one out. Without Simon and Garfunkel conspiracy. wrote that. They wrote that song decades ago, and uh, I doubt, I doubt they were celebrating something. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was grasping for straws. I'm like, is it the anniversary of like the song? Is it? Did it come out? You know, did, was the album debuting on this week or something? Like, why am I why here? Why you just put? Why you? Ed, why don't you just get over with, put some tinfoil on your head and just call it a day. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's, you know, Look, that's where these I'm headed. Are not, they're, they're not, they're not doing what you, what you're, these things don't do what you think they're doing. They're just, they're just correlating data. And it, yeah, sometimes it's like, whoa, you know, how does it know? But it's like, eh, you look in the butt, you look behind the scenes, what's happening. Like, it's like that Leslie Nielsen you know, scene where he's like, nothing to see here, folks. Everything's fine. Everything's blowing up behind him. It's not that everything's blowing up, but lots of data is transferring around on this thing called the internet. And, um, you know, it might be that you've just found there's some correlate that some system has decided there's a correlation and it will display it. Yeah. So. My, my tinfoil needle was high that day. Let's just say that. Though. Okay. Fair enough. That, Fair enough. that was an extreme one. When I, I, I immediately texted this person I know, and I was like, dude, this thing's listening all the time, isn't it? Like the app on my phone that you guys have. It can't. That it, works. It, it, the home it device. Just can't, you, it just can't because it would drain the battery too quickly if it did. If if these apps did listen all the time, the battery life would just plummet because that's an active that's an active process. Yeah. And furthermore, and I, you have to synthesize. That, yeah, you have to synthesize the audio because we sound like whales to computers, right? I don't know if you realize this, but. Like we sound like, you know, when you listen to a whale song and it sounds like, like gibberish and you don't understand, it's just tones. That's what Sorry, we I'm sound laugh. like. To you say that I'm like serious. we all just listen to whale noises. You know, when you're listening to whale sounds. No, like you saw the movie. <laughs> okay, I'll make the geek reference. I'm just, I'm giving you shit. Spot, right. right? <laughs> and they had to go and get humpback whales or Star Trek uh, 1, right? And Star yeah. Trek 1, they, they featured uh, humpback whales. Star Trek 4, they featured humpback whales. Um in both instances, you heard what they sound like. They're, you know, so you wanted me to make the noise. I know that's why you were claiming to not be, uh, you were claiming to be ignorant of the, what, that's what they sound like. That's what we sound like to computers. I want to hear John's best whale impression is really. No, weird. no, we're not doing that. People know what I'm talking about. It's not the portion squeak, squeak, squeak. It's the low, you know, because noise travels longer uh, if it's a lower tone. Anyways, more scientific gibberish. Um, yeah, we sound like this to computers. So computers are just they, to yeah. have a device actively listening all the time would just kill its battery life, and then it has to further process the stuff. Like it's not easy to process this stuff, right? This yeah. is why it's like this is why the Newton didn't didn't translate text very well sometimes, and uh, you know handwriting's hard. But you know, um, you know, it's like now you're doing this in audio. Are you kidding? Like this is hard. I, I should have bought a lotto ticket that day. Right. Right. Okay. I just felt like something was aligning that day. <laughs> it's like, how else would it know? Like if I was on Spotify and I had just listened to it and then another device was like, you want to listen to that sure. song? I've been like, oh yeah, yeah that, Spotify that, and this other app are talking. That makes sense. Yes. But when it was the radio that caught me off guard. It's like that. It could have been something that is, yeah, you know, Art Garf Garfunkel or Paul Simon or something was celebrating something or it was the anniversary of the song or who knows. So Yeah, uh, that was an odd one. 
Anyway, I got to sway off topic. That's <laughs> fine. I've I've got stock in aluminum. That's that's what I'm after. Okay. Yep. Sounds reasonable. You and all the uh, are you gonna have a cabin in the woods soon, and you know have your theories and have you know newspaper clippings pointing to other things and everything. So yeah, just the, go, the just current. go, go for it. Just go the whole way. Just do it. I want. I've always wanted a friend who's a big bit nutty. <laughs> the Charlie Day like. Right. or uh cork board behind me yep yep perfect that'd be that'd be fun for me fun just for my own personal enjoyment i would just be like all right what else are they doing ed what are the and lizard people doing <laughs> maybe i have literal stock in aluminum and i'm just trying to get other people freaked out to drive the can you buy out. stock in quote unquote aluminum i don't even think you can this is getting I'm such sure a weird concept, but i well you can buy you know buy oh you can buy futures and things like that yeah that's true yeah th- there are then companies that do that and you could buy their stock so right indexes and things sorry yeah, apologies so I have, yes i have a, a copper index not an aluminum one i need to look that up and then start making people crazy that hit that hit peak i think uh at various you could you could probably do a cor- you could probably do a correlation between the the price of aluminum and uh certain events that have transpired <laughs> that that a lot of conspiracy theorists have gotten crazy about so that'd be kind of fun yeah. i don't even think that worked you know Anyways, sorry, this is getting way off topic. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. right. Uh, uh, too good. Yes. Uh, so what's what's the next big thing for John Bristow? What what are you uh, going to any events? You got any th- you know, blogs coming up? Anything like that? So I was, I, I was talking about this the other day with some friends. Um, I use TripIt, which is an app that you can use to basically – uh this is a setup by the way but what's what's the, you asked next conference etc so uh mm-hmm. the, this is the reason for the tangent um i think at one i think i'm up to 770,000 kilometers on TripIt, and in five years which is a lot it's not as much as some folks i know uh richard campbell for example he's got millions um but i was saying that this was i was showing that they have this built-in chart that shows you like you know year over year and it's got this graph and mm-hmm. um and then COVID hit and it went like that it just went down oh, to zero top. right so i have i've actually enjoyed not traveling i've really enjoyed not going to conferences because i was going to conferences constantly and that was part of my role at, at progress when i was there teller and uh being in developer evangelism and developer advocacy and so i was traveling all the time going to bulgaria going to the us etc putting lots of miles on and uh in the last two years, I've barely traveled and I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed not being on an airplane and, uh, you know, we're boarding, you know, are, are you in group one? Are you in group two? Is your name Ed? Do you have socks that are red? You know, get on the plane, you know, sort of thing. So I've really enjoyed not traveling. So as far as conferences See, are concerned, yeah. I don't have anything. And I've really enjoyed not going to conferences. That being said, I do miss conferences and talking to people. But I have social activities outside of work that help me get that. So. Fair enough. I, Sorry, I that, that's, a, that's a very uh, long petered out answer to your question. No, no, it's a, it's actually spot on. So I, I I don't enjoy the, quote, traveling. I enjoy the being there. Yes. So it, this was always a lot worse for you because you, you live on basically an island. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of point? the ocean. Uh, yes, so for point? you to travel Little... anywhere is like, what's the, what is the shortest trip outside of Australia? Like New Zealand, which is how many hours? Three hours flight. Okay. That's not too well, it depends. Actually, hang on. It depends on where you're coming from, from Perth. It's seven hours. Okay. So, so Australia is yeah. a big country. So depends on where you're leaving and coming, where you're going. So. I would say, okay, so on at minimum, it's 12 and a half to the US from here, going to and from. Uh, Europe is another matter, which is always fun. I've done that leg many, many times. And there's different routes you can go through. So the, the nicest route I've had is going through Turkey. So this is travel geek stuff now. Um, if you're going to London, good luck, because you're going to go. It's really weird how they do the route sometimes. They'll either go right across and you'll bomb right across you know, Africa, the Middle East, et cetera, and, and bomb right across Europe sometimes. And you'll usually go through Dubai or um, eh, generally Dubai. 
uh, one time I went directly north and we just bombed it right across northern Siberia. It was it was nuts. And I saw some things. I saw some weird things like you would think there was nothing in Siberia, but there was this there were things that I saw going across Siberia that just blew my mind. I didn't know what they were. I think they were like power stations or something. They were all it was like imagine landmass dark as dark as you could see because it was twilight in the air in, in when we were in the air and you're looking across you're looking at the map on the seat in front of you you're like okay i guess we're right here you know in the risk game we're like i'm near vladivostok or whatever like some some place you've never been nor would you ever go etc and you're like okay i'm over this weird town name etc and then you look down there's nothing and then over in the corner on the landmass there's this lit up thing it looks like a square of lights and you just fly over and you're like, what is that? And there's nothing around. There's no cities, nothing. It's like, is that like, is that like an area 52 type area? <laughs> like what's going on? And I never found out what it was, but I'm sure it's like some power station or something like that. But it's amazing what you would see uh, when you fly over these things. Like I've been to, when you fly from North America to parts of your, typically you'll go over, you know, Iceland and Greenland and stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy what you see when you're flying over those things. Of course, you don't want to be that guy when you're flying in a long, long haul flight. You know when everyone shuts their window shades and it's daylight, and it was like, "I gotta get my sleep." And then you're that—you don't want to be that guy who opens up the window shade a little bit, and like all this light pours into the fuselage, and everyone starts looking over, like, "Who's that guy at 34F? Like, who's this guy?" You're like, "Oh, I'm gonna look at nature now." <laughs> you know? Wait, you never seen a cloud like, before, buddy? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's like, but I, I was always interested in that stuff. I always like looking at Mount. I always like looking at the landscape we were flying over. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would just stare at it and be like, "Oh, they got those types of mountains," or. Yeah, there's nothing really around here other than snow, you know, and like being Canadian, that's, you know, pretty common for me. But yeah, um, yeah. the ocean is by far the most boring thing to fly over. That's for sure. Oh, it's just yes. Like waves. Yeah. And just like, okay, that's what we're looking at. Perfect. Yeah. yeah so I, I can travel pretty extensively without leaving the States. And there, there's a lot of conferences in here. You know, yes. Do. But then if I go to Europe, it's not that far of a flight. Not anything no. I'm used to. But there is literally nothing between New York and London. Like it's just water. There's yeah. nothing to see. Nope. You're, you're lucky if there you can see anything really. It's just like I it's really blue down or it's blue up. They invented the Concorde just out of because of the boredom of that flight. That was the whole reason they invented that plane was because this flight is boring. Can we get this down to three hours? All right, the Concorde. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding, of course, but. You know, um, I really hope they bring that back by the the, sub, the supersonic flights. I, I know there's talk about that coming back, and I really hope that they have that sort of thing come back soon. But that would be awesome. But just on your note about like I you 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 like being there, you hate the traveling. I've always had this opinion that you know they should just put us into coffins and just put us to sleep like cargo, and like you know just give us a little bit of anesthesia or whatever, and just put us to sleep. And just make sure our vitals are fine and then just like like luggage just put us on the conveyor belt and just stack up the airplane and then just transport us to where we want to go and then just wake us up on arrival that would be awesome you know i would love something like that i hate i hate having to travel on airplanes because the movies always suck the food is always crap and you're always uncomfortable and so it's like why don't you just okay i'll just put me in a little box and just like a shoe and just i'll just (laughs) like just fire me like catapult me trebuchet me across the ocean <laughs> and just have done with me I'm, I'm asleep why would i care you know so yeah yeah <laughs> perfect response to my anesthesia just uh being in charge i know of i know me flying know. is probably not where i want to be either but uh yeah it'd be nice if you could just blink and wake up somewhere else well um, they do that in all the sci-fi movies right they do why can't know, they right? do that for us they the aliens that they'll work how long you've been in hyper hype quote unquote hypersleep i just put me in the mini hypersleep just put me asleep for 12 hours fly me to wherever i need to be and you wake up you're refreshed and you kind of stretch a little bit and you're like oh i didn't see a movie oh well, big deal you're here right so i, don't I can know. i cannot maybe that's sleep. the next big thing who knows yeah. i cannot sleep sitting upright uh especially on an airplane no one can no one can some people oh, can man i've seen it not but really. i am not like one of those people hmm. Yeah. yeah, I always get the uh, I don't know if it's something to do with the motion of the plane or the fact that I'm just sitting up, but I have that uh, like startled. I'm falling and, and yep. getting startled awake thing. Yep. And I, I I was actually scared. I was going to like slap the person next to me in the seat. 
So I just gave up. I was like, I, I can't sleep on this thing. There's no way. So, well, you, it is a not, it's not a natural act getting into no. a metal tube and being, being rocketed across the sky at 500 miles an hour. It's, it's, if you really do think about it, it is, a, it is quite a, quite a crazy experience. And um, yeah, I mean, whatever. Uh, I think with enough exhaustion, you can definitely sleep wherever you want, but yeah. I think um, planes are not a natural experience if you think about it. You yeah. Know. A few times I've, I've been over to like Bulgaria and that it's uh, like 22 to 24 hours of travel nonstop. And your uh, numbers make up. I've, I've literally been in transit for 34, 38 hours before. Yeah. And you can't sleep. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's a long day. <laughs> you yeah. start getting and then you get to the airport and you crazy. get to the airport and you're in you're in this weird state of mind where you've had no sleep and everything's hilarious or everything's annoying and then mm -hmm. that that automated missions comes in like please do not leave your baggage unattended and the, the the places your mind goes when you're jet lagged is hilarious to me like i've thought of the weirdest things uh, while jet lagged or i found the fun the thing some of the things the funniest things ever in airport travel you see the weirdest things ever when you're traveling to and from places in airports airports are by far they are they are the the island of misfit toys for humanity like you see everything <laughs> there right you see every yeah. every jerk every inconsiderate person every nice awesome person every 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 block of, of life is at the airport i find yeah. And uh, in terms of personality, et cetera. And uh, when you're jet lagged, it's all hysterical. It's all hilarious. And you're just laughing to yourself. And you're just, you look like a lunatic because you look disheveled. And then you're just laughing by yourself. You're like, all right, what's wrong with this guy? You know, sort of thing. But it's just because you're, you're, your brain goes to certain places. That's all. I remember eating dinner four times in one day. <laughs> that, that, was, that was an interesting one. Right. So, Why am I always like, hungry? I left... It left the states and then there was like a layover in um, Germany, which would have been in it would have been my dinner yeah. time. Yep. So I ate my quote dinner there, and then I got yes. to Bulgaria, and then it was actually dinner time when I landed. So naturally, you know, I'm hungry. I ate as soon as I got out of the airport, and then you know, friends start showing up. You know, the sure. other people flying in from from out of the country or landing more like dinner, every, more. Yeah, yes. every two hours it's like yes. well i just landed i need to get something to eat and it's like you want to come sure why not I, you know, yes i could eat again and then yeah. by the fourth dinner you're like yeah i think i just had dessert and uh yeah you feel like those two hobbits in the lord of the rings what about fourth dinner <laughs> yeah somebody was like you, you're not ordering a meal i'm like yeah i've, I've done that three three times already today Yes. Just doing dessert. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, 100%. So for those folks watching why we're talking about conferences so much, it is, a, it is a reality of the software industry. You will go to a conference every now and then. You will have to travel. And you will like it. <laughs> and you will have four dinners. <laughs> four dinners. All right, John. I, I think that's a, a good place to wrap this up. Four dinners it is. Um, sure. Where can we find out uh, more about what you're working on, John? Uh, octopus.com is is the one url to rule them all uh make your homepage, make it a bookmark i don't care uh but check us out and uh i'm on the twitters as well uh john brasso is my handle i don't tweet there as often as i should but you know once in a while i just post stuff that i find funny or technical that's about it uh instagram whatever just dad photos if you're into like dad jokes and stuff that's pretty much me but octopus.com that's generally the the place to be Awesome, John. It was great talking to you, my friend. And uh, we will see you again soon on our on our regular news show. Um, and I'll be shipping these uh, interviews on my SoundCloud for Eat Sleep Code, which uh, should start picking up some steam. I, I, I told Layla, I had her on last week, that you know, yep. we're still getting quite uh, a few views um, or listens, even though we haven't aired a, an actual interview show in quite some time. Right, time. Um, so, that. Yeah, so I, I aired um, uh, Layla's show last week and it was already you know, several hundred, if not a thousand views. Nice. 
So it's it's nice to have folks back and listening again. It's nice to be interviewing people again, and uh, appreciate having you on. Thanks. Here, everybody. Thank you.